Hi, friends, and welcome to the Between the Covers Book Club podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want to let you know that we love you and you are always welcome to sit at our table. Between the Covers believes in passionately pursuing our best selves through inspirational books and elevating and empowering our members along the way. Please take a look at our website btcbookclub.com backslash podcast to check out what books we are reading in the chapter calendar so you can read along and tune into these podcast discussions. We are all about empowering each other, so please leave us a review and also share this podcast with others. Again, we are so honored to have you on this journey with us. Let's dive in. Hi guys, I'm so excited Steph is here. Just so you know, right now Between the Covers is reading an Enneagram book and I have just gotten so many questions about the Enneagram and I'm not an expert in it. And so um, we've reached out to Steph and she kind of is the owner and runs Nine Types Co., which if you're on Instagram, and you like the Enneagram, it's like the one account you have to follow. So we're super (laughs) excited to have you, Steph. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, first things first, give a little like brief introduction about yourself. What Enneagram number are you? How did you get into the Enneagram? And where are you from? Sure. So I'm Steph Baron Hall. I am an Enneagram coach. And basically what that means today is as I'm finishing up my master's in organizational communication, mostly what I do is I help teams work on their communication and use the Enneagram to really kind of untangle things. Um, So that's my day job, basically. And then a huge part of that is obviously Instagram. So I create content that I try to take really complex concepts and make them really clear and make them um, kind of more accessible to just like the average person who isn't wanting to read like a massive book. Um, But it's also really important to me that, you know, people are able to access the depth of what the Enneagram has to offer. So I try not to like dumb it down too much. Um, With that said, I'm a type three. I got started with the Enneagram after dabbling in various other personality profiling tools a few years ago. And then I started my account in 2017. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's like so much growth in just a couple of years. Yeah. 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 So I started it because I, I wasn't like certified in anything at the time. I was just like looking for a new side hustle after ending my previous side hustle. And, um, I was like, you know what? I think I could make, um, coffee mugs for each of the Enneagram types. Like that would be cool. How cool. Yeah. So like literally three years ago, exactly. I hired a designer and just like invested in that. And, um, we, so at the time I was working in merchandising actually. So, (laughs) um, I was able to kind of be like, okay, this is my goal for holiday 2017 and, and kind of, get that off and running. And so that's why I created the account. And then I didn't actually start posting about the Enneagram tool until January, 2019. Oh, and at that time, yeah, at that time I had a thousand followers. And it's just like snowballed effect. I'm assuming because the Enneagram, it's crazy how accurate it can be. So I'm sure people start sharing it and they're like, 
yeah. just start following you. That's so, yeah. so do you still have like coffee mugs available? Or like- I do. I do. I, um, I have them on an Etsy page. I honestly, at this point, I kind of tried to make them still affordable, but um, higher quality product, which means I, I honestly don't make a lot off of them, but I still have them available for people who want them. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. So where are you from? Where do you live? I am in Northern California. Northern California. So have you been uh, yeah. affected by any of the fires or anything? Oh my gosh. It has been pretty rough. I mean, mostly they haven't been near us. Um, there was one that was like pretty close to where I'm at. Um, but just like, you know, with everything with COVID, like obviously we have been social distancing and everything. California has basically been shut down since March. Um, but we've been depending on getting fresh air, going outside. Um, and with the smoke, you just really can't go outside. So that's been a little tough. Yeah, I can only imagine. I know a lot of our groups have been, we have groups in Northern California. We also have groups um, in Lake Charles, Louisiana, that just got really hit by the hurricane. So we're leaning in, all all of the cities are leaning in. And I mean, we're all praying for you. So I hope that, okay, well, I'm just going to hop right into some questions that I have about the Enneagram. So I got involved with the Enneagram when I was getting married a couple years ago. And Mm -hmm. in our marriage course at our church, they required an Enneagram course. And we had to read a book. And it it was been really life-changing for me and Alex. Like, he kind of knows how I operate as a one. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel Mm -hmm. like when you're married to a one, you need to know how they operate. (laughs) And he's a peacemaker. And we just, the Enneagram has helped us so much in our relationship. And so I kind of wanted to ask, like, I'm sure a lot of corporations use the Enneagram. Like, why is it, why was it picked up by the church? Like, do you know anything like, on a religious <laughs> front on that? Sure. So um, it's interesting. I think a lot of that actually started back in the late 1980s. A lot of people might have heard of uh, Father Richard Rohr, who, um, who really started kind of bringing the Enneagram back into, well, I I wouldn't say totally back in, in, into the public eye, but, but definitely he started kind of surfacing some of the thought processes um, because really prior to the 1980s, it was only um, taught to specific people through like spiritual directors or therapists. It wasn't really taught on a broad scale. Um, and so Richard Rohr wrote this book called, I think it's called the Enne- the Christian Enneagram, perhaps. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, so, so he kind of brought that about. And then, um, so so there there have been a lot of people and, and spiritual directors, different people like that, who've really been interested in the, the Enneagram for spiritual formation. But I think what really caused it to take off, and I'm not sure what the impetus was for this particular book, but The Road Back to You was published in 2016. And since then, oh man, it's just like really kind of taken off. So even some of my favorite books were written, you know, one of my favorite books was written in 1999, but um, so many of us are seeing it as this newer thing. So I think that has a lot to do with why a lot of, you know, Christian traditions are, are interested in it right now. Yeah, that was the actual book that we had to read in our yeah. 
And it's amazing. I mean, um, Susan and Morgan, I think, are the authors of that. Yeah, Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Cron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that book. But as a group of over a thousand women, we obviously try and learn about all things. And so I was always interested, like, why is the Enneagram picked up by Christianity? And so Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. Um, Another question we've gotten a lot about is, can your Enneagram number change? Like if something tragic happens in your life, does that move you to another number? Yeah. So um, I get that question a lot, actually. Um, And really the answer is no. Um, So basically the thought process is because the Enneagram, I'm sure all of the people in your book club know this at this point, um, but it's based on core motivation. So that core motivation essentially stays the same. And and the thought process and and kind of the theory behind it that I ascribe to is that we're actually born with, you know, at least a bent toward a specific Enneagram type. And then some of our early things that happen in our lives, how, how we respond to them and how they affect us is impacted by our Enneagram type, which is already in us. Right. So that's my perspective. Um, And so as we go through life, we, a lot of us go through really hard or traumatic things and those things can change you, but they don't actually change your Enneagram type. So sometimes what you'll find is that you end up functioning out of what they call your stress number or your, your arrow of disintegration. Um, and, and that, that can have a lot to do with it. The other thing is even when your Enneagram type doesn't change, your subtype can change. What do you mean by subtype? Just so everyone can kind of, because I have tons of questions about arrows, energy, subtypes, wings. So what's a subtype? So subtypes are actually kind of the blending of two concepts. So um, there's this other concept called instinctual variance, which basically says that all of us have survival instincts. So those are self-preservation, social, and sexual, meaning, or one-to-one, it's sometimes called. So Self-preservation is just what it sounds like. Social is like the thought process. If the herd survives, I survive. And then the sexual is like a need for connection and also a need for like um, passion and zeal. Like if you think of it's kind of picture somebody who needs like a a level of passion or a level of zeal or a level of um, adrenaline to go out and hunt, you know, Mm -hmm. that's so that that's kind of what that one is referring to a bit. So um. So that's the instinctual variant portion. And then you overlay those three instincts with the nine Enneagram types and you get 27 subtypes. So within your type, we all have all of those instincts within us that I just mentioned. Um, And they're all stacked. So you have a top instinct that that's what is called your subtype typically when you um, kind of mix it with your Enneagram type. Um, And but the stacking can change throughout life. So for example, a social one and a sexual one look very, very, very different. So you might think my Enneagram type changed because I'm different, but actually it's just that the subtype is what changed. Wow. 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 Okay. So subtype, can that pull from any number, no matter if it's a wing or Mm. it can pull from any number on the Enneagram? No, sorry. Sorry. So um, your your core type doesn't change, but your subtype stacking can. 
or your instinct stacking can. And that's what we call the subtype. So you could say, I used to be like, you're always going to be like, I'm a one, but you might think I used to be a social one and now I'm a sexual one, or I used to be a self-preservation one and now I'm a social one. I see. So Mm -hmm. it's by those instincts that can change. That can change. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Sorry. This is just mind blowing. So what are the three instincts? Social, um, passion, sexual, and what was the other one? Self-preservation. Self-preservation. So Mm -hmm. those can change, but your, my core motivations at my heart and soul are always going to stay the same throughout my life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are a lot of ways to look at it. I really like looking at the instinct separately, like looking at it as its own theory. Um, but other Enneagram scholars say like there's a specific alchemy almost that happens when um, you put the types together. So, um, but yeah, so for example, Beatrice Chestnut is an Enneagram author and um, practitioner who talks a lot. Like she literally goes into the 27 types, not just the nine types. That kind of helps with my next question because I kind of am hearing over and over again, like people saying like, I feel like I have like little pieces and chunks of all the numbers. Like, I don't know what number I am because I feel like everything. (laughs) Like I have the poo-poo platter of Enneagram numbers. And I'm like, (laughs) I I don't have that issue. I am a hardcore one. I knew it the second I read it and I was just like, oh, that's me. So Mm -hmm. what advice would you give? And now this, this kind of does explain why it can get confusing because Mm -hmm. we have all of these different subtypes and Mm -hmm. I don't, what advice layers to it? Yeah. It's not just Mm -hmm. like, I'm this number, there's nothing else. So I can understand when someone's new to the Enneagram and they kind of feel pulled in multiple numbers, how that could be like Mm -hmm. frustrating. Like, what is my number? Yeah. What advice would you give? There are two things. So one of them is like, we all have all of the numbers within us to some extent, right? So it's not like, and like, you know, I actually did a post about this recently on my Instagram where it's like, all of us want to have fun. All of us want to avoid being controlled. All of us want to be good at stuff. All of us want to be competent. Um, So we all have all of those kind of things within us. But what we have to look at is what is the single persistent driving motivation. And I think that's where we get tripped up because we're not really used to talking about motivation. We're just not used to like thinking of the world in that way. Some of us are more than others. Um, I think there are certain types that do sit around and think, what made me do that? Like, why did I do that? And like asking themselves why a lot of us are not very self-reflective in that way. And so we'll go through life and never think about like, what is driving me? What is my motivation? And so if somebody's like, wow, I'm overwhelmed, um, I think it's really important for them to maybe take a step back, um, do some reflection, do some journaling, try and get to the bottom of, and not even, that That makes it sound like there's like a final step, like you're going to get to the bottom of it and then everything's going to be sorted. But no, it's like, it's an ongoing journey. I mean, people very close to me have taken years to find their type and that is part of their process and that's okay. Um, and also specifically sixes and nines have a really hard time finding their type. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder, well, you probably know why 
why? Yeah. You know? Yes. Well, there's like an Enneagram theory part of it. And then there's also just, um, you know, sixes tend to like, they almost build like a committee of people that they want to run things by. And they, they're like, I don't know. I don't trust myself. So I'm going to kind of ask everyone else what they think first. And so they end up not being really sure. And sometimes they're really indecisive and that can be a real challenge. Um, they want reassurance. And I will say sixes often know what they want to hear, but they just want reassurance from somebody else. <laughs> so, um, and then nines, they have a tendency to self forget. So they spend so much of their energy, like creating inner peace um, and like, tamping themselves down and creating outer peace and like placating others that there's actually this piece of themselves between those two things that is like lost, um, that they've tamped down and that's what they have to tune into to find their type. That is so interesting. I mean, just like the amount of information, you know, is mind blowing. So do you have (laughs) like actual clients that you coach on the Enneagram, like, like a therapist, right? Or like, can mm-hmm. you explain like your what role? Like. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of what I do is actually typing sessions. So I meet with people um, and help them find their type. Oh, wow. That's anyone listening. I mean, I know maybe you can like beg Steph to do a virtual typing se- session. <laughs> yeah. because We have a lot of people that are lost on their type. Yeah. Well, I've done them on every continent except Antarctica. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I, I've, I've talked with people all over the world about finding their Enneagram type. Um, and I'm a big believer that it's like such a personal process. And so even when I go through it with people, sometimes they leave and they're like, I'm still not sure. And I'm like, lean into that, you know, figure that out. Um, and I, I normally have a pretty good idea, but I like don't want to be like, this is your type because sometimes that takes something away from their journey. Um, so that's a large part of what I do. And then the other thing I do is I meet with um, teams mostly. So um, yeah, as I said, I'm finishing up my master's in organizational communication this semester. And so um, that blended with the Enneagram is like my main gig. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And congrats on getting your master. That's like a huge accomplishment. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Okay, so can we dive in a little bit about wings? And Mm -hmm. like, first off, does everyone have to have a wing? I mean, we have wings on the chart. I understand there's two numbers next to me. For an example, like me as a one, I feel like I am a strong one. I don't Mm -hmm. really tend to have any peacemaker or nine in me and then like helper and like eh, sometimes so like but I Mm -hmm. I don't feel strongly to any one of those is it okay to just be a one yeah that's totally fine and some people feel that they have one strong wing some people feel that they have both wings like they lean into which one they need at at um, a given time and then some people feel that they don't have a wing at all just totally fine the okay. biggest confusion I would say about wings is that people take a test there. They go and take the, an Enneagram test and they say, I am a three with a seven wing because I got 98% type three and 94% type seven. 
And that is not how it works. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think we have a lot of members that, um, you know, when you're reading an Enneagram book, the first thing people are doing are taking a test and yeah. they feel, <clears throat> you know, a little like confused by the test or they take the test 10 times. And I'm like, yeah. that that's not <laughs> like, maybe let's yeah. dive into the book and see what like the educational and the journey process yeah. reveals to you. Because I, I could understand just you know, West, West, Western culture, we're just wanting to know our number right then and there. But yeah. the beauty is kind of digging in a little bit. And yeah, it is. So yeah. now you probably have a better word for mm-hmm. this, but the arrows that are pointing, one pointing away from your number, and then the other one that's pointing towards your number. Mm-hmm. That's how you operate if you're unhealthy or healthy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To an extent. So I actually have a friend. Um, her name's Amanda Steed. So she's another, she's a fantastic Enneagram professional. Um, but she calls them movement points, which I love. I think it's really descriptive um, and really helpful because the way that I see it is, um, so we can be healthy, unhealthy, and just average in our core type. So there might be days when I'm like, or there might be seasons when I'm really unhealthy and I'm unhealthy in type three, or there might be seasons when I'm like doing a great job taking care of myself and doing all these other things that I'm healthy in type three. Um, but in a given day, so th- that's a more seasonal thing in a given day though, we experience stress. And when we get stressed, we tap into these our stress type. So that's the area or the arrow of disintegration or the stress type. If you're unhealthy in your core type, you will more likely tap into the unhealthy aspects of your stress type. If you're healthy in your stress type, you will more likely tap into um, the healthy aspects of your stress type. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And wow. you know, you're reading that Suzanne Stabile book, right? And yeah, she says, I... I love how she says this. She says, um, you cannot protect yourself in the world without your stress type. Wow. Explain more. Why? Because that's like our. There's something about it that we just really need. Um, So for example, for type two, type twos, their stress type is type eight. So they go through the world and they're like, um, yes, I can do it. Yes, I can do it. I'm, I'm here for everyone. I'm helpful for everyone. Um, but type eight is like really asking the question, what is my to do? Having really strong boundaries, being really, you know, more independent. And when type twos tap into that eight energy, they can actually be strong for themselves and like have the boundaries that they need. If that makes wow. sense. Wow. Yeah. So all of us have something in our stress type that we need. Now, the security types, the arrow of integration, um, that happens when we're feeling, um, when we're growing, it can happen at times. It also happens when we're feeling really secure. So sometimes we might notice the low side of our security number, that's called the security point, when we're with our closest people. So with your spouse, your kids, your roommate, those people, might see the low side of your security number. I see. Oh my gosh, this is, yeah. You're so, like, your brain is like turning right 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, books are great, but books mm-hmm. almost like scratch the surface of the Enneagram. And I haven't really dived in this deep, like just from this, what you just said. It's like, wow, okay, that makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. So, um, and then also we can see the the higher side of our security number when we're really doing well and really, really growing and in a secure spot. Um, so that that's also helpful. And, and I wouldn't say it's always with the security point. It's not always even just like the lowest, lowest side. It's almost like the average perspective. So um, that's helpful to note as well. But yeah, th- there's so much to it. And, and like, like we're getting into here. I mean, we've been on like less than half an hour and we've already talked about all of this Enneagram theory. Oh yeah. And it's very complex. And so that's it, why I laugh when people are like, there's only, how can everyone in the world be only nine types? And it's like, no, no, no. There's so much more. Yeah. That was, um, you know, when we're voting on books, obviously not everyone is excited. It's just, we can't please everyone at this point. Right. So a lot of people thought, and I mean, they ha- everyone can have their own opinions. I encourage it. And so, yeah. but a lot of people do say like, is the Enneagram putting people in boxes and, and okaying their behavior? And yeah, I would love to hear your thought on like that. And also mm-hmm. how can we use the Enneagram to help our daily lives? Yeah. Yeah. So I think those things are kind of um, intertwined. I would say, and, and this actually comes from one of my favorite books um, by Don Richard Risso and Russ, um, Russ Hudson. They basically write that the Enneagram isn't putting you in a box. It's showing you the box and helping you climb out of it because it really is. And I'm sure if anyone has like done even like a cursory reading into the Enneagram, you're like, oh, this is like really pointing out the weaknesses that I have and the negative aspects of myself and the shadow sides. And I don't love it. Um, Especially, honestly, if you're using it in relationships, you're going to be like, oh, I didn't want to address that. I see the Enneagram working like not only for self-reflection. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think we, especially as women, should be doing Mm -hmm. more self-reflection on a daily basis. But Mm -hmm. I've just seen the Enneagram work so well in a relationship. And for me to understand how they operate has helped a lot. Totally. Yeah. So um, when we're like, I think especially when people first learn the Enneagram, they can easily be like, well, you're just such a three. You're just doing that. You're such a six. You're such a five, you know, and, and almost weaponizing it in a sense. Yeah. Um, but once we get into the actual work, we realize that it actually is sort of like a sacred thing. That's a little bit fragile um, that we need to go about a little with a little bit more reverence, I'd say. Um, so in day-to-day life, I think it's super helpful to just be like, um, the very first step I think is just noticing. So noticing when you're walking through life, like, Oh, why did I do that? You walk away from a conversation. Why did I say that thing? What was I trying to get from that? Um, just noticing it, observing it, journaling about it, trying to not judge yourself for it, but just paying attention. Um, that is like one of the like biggest things that the Enneagram does because it really invites you to pay more attention to what's underneath. And then 
once you can notice it, then you can choose something different. So instead of having that pattern be so automatic, like I, this happens, I react this way. You're able to pull back and say, okay, um, instead of like having that pattern or that snap response, like slow, just slow that reaction and choose something different that's more helpful or more healthy um, that serves you better or is like better for your connections with others. I think that's huge. Right. So it's not like, obviously you can't even change your Enneagram number. You're not wanting anyone to change Enneagram numbers. You're more wanting in your profession for people to self-reflect and be their like healthiest or average number, Mm -hmm. just to notice the unhealthy reactions and try and move towards healthy. Right. Is that like your goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, as we, as like the stereotypes, honestly, are are really focused on um, the the average to lower levels of health. So that's that's the main thing. Um, but as we all grow, we look less and less like the stereotype of our enneagram type. Um, and so that's really the goal. And and honestly, like I I think the goal is to grow in self awareness, to have, cultivate empathy. Um, to have better connections with yourself and with others. That's really the goal. (laughs) Yeah. Especially now and the climax of the world. I feel like this is so important, like the empathy aspect. And I feel like Mm -hmm. having a tool like the Enneagram can help you feel like other people's feelings. And I think that's super important right now. Um, do you know when the Enneagram was started? Like I, I heard at the very beginning, you said it was kind of started by spiritual directors. Like, do you know a little bit of the history of the Enneagram? Yeah. So there it's kind of, nobody knows for sure what, where it came from. Um, but basically there were a couple of key players, I would say in the beginning of it. So one of them is George Gurdjieff. Um, and he was an Armenian, like mystic almost like he was and like he lived in Russia for a time, things like that. He was really, really interested in um, humans and like studying humans and how people work and wanted to kind of learn that more. So he traveled to the Middle East and he traveled all these different places um, to learn about these concepts. Um, So that's actually where the um, Enneagram symbol comes from. So he kind of got the symbol adopted it. Some people say because Enneagram is a Greek word that it's from the Greeks, but it's honestly, we don't really know. (laughs) Um, And then there was um, another guy kind of similar motivation named Oscar Ichazo. And so he was in South America and was learning it and everything. And um, he really overlaid the, the, um, between his work and uh, Claudio Naranjo, who's slightly more modern in the 1950s, overlaid the personality framework with the actual Enneagram symbol itself. So that's kind of how we got the blending of those two things. I see. Yeah. And then some, so Claudio Naranjo um, was actually, he was a psychologist or psychiatrist. I actually can't remember at the moment which he was, but, um, and he brought, the Enneagram back to California and started teaching people in small groups. Um, and so that's kind of how, how it started. Like at Stanford university, a lot of, it has a lot of roots in that area. Um, 
Wow. Yeah. And like small pockets. So, so it's, it's like I said, it's very complex. There's like a lot of different players. I'm probably oversimplifying it. Um, but there are a lot of different people. And so, um, some of the, the leaders that we like look to now for, you know, that are more like original Enneagram scholars, they kind of got into it in like the seventies and the eighties and started writing about it then. Wow. Man, that's so crazy. Yeah, so it, it originally was really for personal growth, spiritual formation. Um, but I feel like they even wouldn't want to say that because they would say it's even more, it, it's even deeper than personal yeah. formation. It's like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's those are the roots. It's very uh, complex. <laughs> So you hear or I'll hear a lot of women maybe embarrassed by their number mm-hmm. or thinking that their number is not good enough and there's better Enneagram numbers to be like, mm-hmm. what's your outlook on that? Like all Enneagram numbers weigh the same. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, that's what I think, but I would like yep. to hear what you think. No, I totally agree. And I think we all tend to think our own number is the worst a lot of the time. Um, I, yeah, it, it is hard. I, I went through that. I don't know if you went through that when you first found your type, but. Yeah, I did. I like, was, <sighs> it like was kind of relieving because it, it felt such like me when I was reading about like the fears mm. and the anxieties of a one. Like I, it was kind of relieving to know like, there's other people that feel this type of, you know, tension that I feel with my motivation and like always trying to be good. And so that part was nice to know there's others, but at the same time, I was, did not want to be the perfectionist. I kind mm-hmm. of was thinking I was a three, like trying to guide myself mm-hmm. to another, like, Oh, maybe I'm the yeah. helper or maybe like I was trying to move myself, but yeah, I came to, you know, my soul. And I knew like, I'm a one. So let's actually practice about how I can be the healthiest one I can be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that there is a level of self-rejection within that. You know, I think there's a level of like not wanting to look at ourselves that closely. It's uncomfortable. Like it is not fun to be like, oh, wow, I thought I was fooling everyone. And actually I was fooling no one. (laughs) Everyone else saw these things about me that I have been thinking I was hiding really well. Um, So I just think it's really, it's tough. I think I would encourage people that everyone kind of feels that way. Um, Somebody actually reached out to me recently on Instagram and said, you have a really negative view of this particular number. And it was interesting to me because as I thought about that, I was like, hmm, I ran it by some some people because, I mean, if I get feedback like that, I, I want to know if it's if it's true, you know? Right. So I ran it by a few people, but um, I was like, I honestly, part of me just wonders if that person just doesn't like to look at those aspects of themselves. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I, hard. I completely agree. I think that's why some women might not want to learn about the Enneagram. They don't want mm. to to look at this stuff. It it is hard to have this type of self-reflection in a society that has such little self-reflection. Yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, you see people a lot of the time, or at least I do, they're like, what about like Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder? And, and those tools 
can be helpful, but they don't look as much at the weaknesses. They don't look as much at the blind spots. Um, And we want to lean on those positive things. And we have to see something positive in ourselves in order to grow. That's just how it is. (laughs) Um, But... Yeah, we 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 really have to also look at the gaps too. Yeah, I completely agree. What is one thing that you think everyone should know about the Enneagram or just know about you? Hmm. I think what they should know about the Enneagram would be that it is a lot more complex. If they listen to this whole conversation and they got through it, they're like, oh, wow, this is a lot more complex than I thought. And I think that's really important to note. Even just like a short conversation, we're not going to be able to cover everything. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest things that I try to encourage people with because Completely. there's so much more to it. Um, and even on Instagram, like it's just it's hard to communicate everything. Um I find that a lot more can be communicated. If you have somebody teach you, um, you hear them talk about it, you're going to get a different dynamic than if you read it. So that's really important. Um, I think about myself, honestly, I would tell people, I always try to remind people that I'm a human being. Um, I think as somebody who creates a lot of content on, on the internet, um, people forget that. And you know, it can be a, the internet can be a scary place sometimes. So, um, I just try to remind people that I'm a human being and yeah, yeah. be nice. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I completely agree with your, um, about like actually reading it is one thing, but discussing mm-hmm. it is another. And that's one of the most beautiful things about BTC is that we do get to read it. Obviously we're a book club, but then coming together and discussing these things, like we had our first Enneagram meeting last night, mm-hmm. my group did. And, um, it was just so beautiful to like hear from like a four that I don't really know a lot about. And I learned that she's a four and I'm just like, wow, like I can be a better friend to you in so many different ways that, you know, like yeah. then I didn't even mm-hmm. think of cause you're a four, like, you know, yeah. and so um, discussing it not only was eye opening for me, but it was also um, just really encouraging about how I could be a better friend to them. So, in book club meeting on the Enneagram last night, there, ironically, in my group, there are a lot of ones that are dating nines, and or there's nines in my group that are dating ones, and so they're like oh, there has to be something here. Like we are meant to be for each other. And so I wanted to ask you, like, are certain types meant to be together? Or like, what is the compatibility on type? Yeah, I get that question all the time. It's seriously one of the most common questions I hear. Um, And I really don't think that there are certain types that are more compatible. Like I really believe that any type pairing can work if two people are willing to put in the work, you know, all relationships can be amazing and all relationships can really struggle. So I think that is like the biggest thing is somebody who's willing to show up for you and put in the work and be kind and open to growth. You know, that's a huge thing for me anyway. But with that said, there are certain type pairings that are most common. So one in nine is by far one of the most common Enneagram type pairings. 
And it's really interesting. Like you talk to, um, I was just pulling up some data that I took recently on Instagram and, um, the ones who responded, if they were in a relationship, 20% of them said that they were in a relationship with a nine. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. I will say though, that almost every type is the most common pairing is type nine. Oh, Mm -hmm. why is that? So it's like two or nine, three or nine. Like it's always mm -hmm. nine. Yeah. So for, for nines, the most common type pairing is type five. For twos, the most common type pairing is type nine followed by type three. Um, for three is the most common type pairing is type eight. Um, so I think most of them are type nine, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, (laughs) I was just looking through all the data, um, like flipping through it, but, but yeah, so it's really interesting. Um, I think that nines are pretty easy to get along with (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there, that has something to do with it. I think the types that are a little bit more, um, aggressive, so type three would be an example of that or type seven or type eight. So type eights and type nines actually end up together a lot, but type threes and type eights end up together a lot. And I think that they like the matched intensity, the matched energy. Um, there are certain pairings that like, so, like sometimes, I don't know, H- here's the thing I'd say. Sometimes the, when you have matched energy with someone else, that works out well because you end up fueling one another and it, it's really good, you know, and it's really positive. Right. And sometimes when you have opposite energy, that ends up working out really well because you're able to bring each other into balance. That's like me and Alex. Like I'm very yeah. peaking high, intense, like always um, like moral good, just trying to do better. And he's like, bring it down a notch, you know, mm-hmm. caught even keeled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. balanced person. And so mm-hmm. like, I couldn't imagine being a m- married to another, like, like you said, like aggressive or intense type number. Cause I feel like I would just be like, so burned out. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I think that there are certain types that try to make the world fit their perception of reality. And so when you get two of those in the room together, there can be some butting of heads. (laughs) And also actually sometimes what can happen, like for example, five and nine, like I mentioned, that's a really common pairing. Both of them have lower levels of energy. They're very thoughtful and more thorough. Um, They tend to process things a lot more. That can also have its own challenges, right? Because sometimes things can fester without being really dealt with. So I I, like people always want to say like, what type should I date or what type should I marry? And I'm like, I just, just don't, don't, don't date or break up with or hire or fire based on Enneagram type. (laughs) That yeah. Oh, hire and fire. I mean, don't even get started with like companies using the Enneagram and thinking like, I'm sure I don't, I don't, I don't work at a company that does the Enneagram, but I'm sure there's Mm -hmm. companies out there that are like, we need like a uh, one in this position that is yeah. like, yeah, I could see how that could be a little toxic. Yeah. One of my very first jobs, actually, I, uh, we didn't use the Enneagram. We use a different uh, motivation based personality thing, but I was like, well, so if we have these personalities on our team, like 
what type should we hire? And um, our HR consultant was like, don't ever do that. (laughs) I was like, oh gosh. But like since then, and like learning what I've learned and and everything, um, it's like, yeah, wow, that that's, that's huge. So I I think the same thing goes for relationships. Um, I will say that, that there are certain sevens who like cannot get along with fours. And there are certain sevens who love fours. So that kind of depends too, you know? Um, totally. But I think one of the big things for me that I really stress is that people change um, just in general. And I think especially if you're somebody who's dedicated to growth and personal growth, if you're using the Enneagram on a regular basis, of course, you're going to be like, you're going to change. You're going to shift over time. And that is one of the biggest things that I think is important to keep in mind because it can be tempting to say, well, you're not the person I married, you know, anymore, that type of thing, especially when you witness your partner going through a lot of changes. And I think it's super important to keep an open mind of, and see like all the iterations of who that person will become throughout your lifetime together. I love that. I love how like the thread that's kind of going through this whole entire conversation is like self-reflecting, keeping an open Mm -hmm. mind, Things that like I preach over and over again in BTC about having an open mind with yourself and with others and new subjects. Mm -hmm. It's so important. Yeah, it is. And, and with that, probably if somebody's not interested in the Enneagram, they won't have made it this far in the podcast, but there are people who are in, who are not into the Enneagram and that is totally fine. I just think you need something. I think you need some tool for self-reflection. The Enneagram has been something that's been really impactful for me. And I I find it to be one of the best tools I've found. But that doesn't mean it's the only tool. Oh, yeah, completely. There's hundreds of them. But yeah. And I think as uh, like group, as BTC, like our best thing we could do for our group is like I always say, like grow your toolkit. Like, Mm -hmm learn uh, tons of things. And if it works for you, add it to the toolkit. If it doesn't move along, like we should just be constantly growing the toolkit. So when something Mm -hmm. does happen, we have access to like what we need at that time. And that's exactly what I wanted the Enneagram to be for these women were just a toolkit that they could have or a tool in their toolkit. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, we're wrapping up. Can you tell everyone how they can find you? Like, your website or your Etsy or wherever you want to send people to kind of follow you. Let us know right now. Um, some of your pages. Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest thing is Instagram. I'm at nine types co. Um, it's all spelled out nine types co and there you can find a lot of different resources. You can find some of the topics that we've discussed today, like um, the movement points or the wings or the subtypes. You can also find a lot of stuff about like how to deal with stress or how to communicate better with others. Um, And also if you are struggling to find your Enneagram type, I have a guide that can go along with, um, I really don't encourage taking tests, but if you want to take a test, you can. And I have a guide to go along with that. Um, That's free and you can just download it and, read it and see what you think about it. Um, I also have a podcast called Ask an Enneagram Coach, where I answer questions kind of like I did today. Um, And sometimes I am joined by guests to also answer questions with me. Um, So those are the two main places to find me or my website is ninetypes.co. 
That's so awesome, Steph. We are so lucky to have you like just for an hour to chat. Um, Our lives are all going to be enhanced by this. And if you're listening and you're reading the path between us and you've made it to the end, I think it's so important that you go follow Nine Types Co. Because just like she said, she posts very... Um, things that apply to your day. Like I just saw a couple of days ago, she posted like mantras per your number. Mm-hmm. So like Steph posts things that, I don't know, in my hectic day, um, it kind of reminds me to like pause and kind of learn a little bit about myself and self-reflect in these small increments throughout the day with the Enneagram. So it's a great, I, I love your page. Like I've- Thanks so I much. I think it's awesome. <laughs> and we appreciate you being on this podcast and all the women, like if they could be here right now, they would all be screaming, thank you. So we just appreciate you. And That's awesome. Be safe with fires and all that. Just COVID. Thank you so much. Be safe. All right. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.